You ever met anybody that tried to exert influence but just didn't have it? You ever met anybody that thought they had some authority and leadership and influence but it, they, just, they just didn't? Maybe there was a company merger or a company takeover and, you know, the first staff meeting happens and there stands the director or the VP or the manager and it's all the new staff together and, and he thinks he's got the room. But he doesn't. And everybody in the room knows it. Or, or maybe you've been in another setting where it was obvious that somebody thought they were the man. And they weren't the man. You know, influence is something that's really, it's kind of cool to me. Because it's easy to look back and see who had influence in our lives. Now, you may not be able to pinpoint every single person that had influence over every single decision that you've ever made. But it's pretty easy to look back in your life and identify some seasons of time, moments in time, decisions that you made, and someone that may have had influence over that decision, those moments, that season of time. You know, it's easy for me, my wife and I, we've got four kids and two of them are in school, and it's pretty easy for us to identify who is having influence on our two oldest children, especially our oldest son, Cooper. Because if we ever take him shopping, we ever take him to the store, I find out really quickly who's got influence because he gives us a shopping list. Hey, dad, I need to buy that, you know, that new football shirt like so-and-so wears in my class. Or I don't know if you've seen this. There's, they're all the rage right now, but there are these Nike socks that are like $1,000. I don't know if you've seen these. Nike Elite socks are not really $1,000. They're like 500 But he wants these because like every guy in his class is wearing them, right? And he wants, for Christmas, like he wanted these Kevin Durant KD tennis shoes. Those are like a million dollars, right? Because so-and-so that they have recess together when they play football or basketball, he wears those shoes, right? And so there's somebody that I see that he's engaging with. He's, got, he's doing life with at school that has influence in his life. Now, hopefully his mother and I are still the primary influencers of him, but for my son, Branson, he's our second and and man, he is such a cool kid. He is heavily influenced by infomercials, heavily influenced. Like he walked in the other day and he's like, dad, have you ever heard of the Ginsu knife? Right. Um, Jerry Seinfeld, my favorite comedian says he didn't know he needed a knife to cut through any of his tennis shoes until he saw that. But, you know, he just walks in and he's been watching a commercial or an infomercial. And, and, and it's several times a day, it seems, that he walks in to say to us, come here, I pause the TV. You need to come look at this. We need this. Right. And it's not always a toy. It's not always a, something that benefits him specifically. It, it, sometimes it's something for our kitchen or something for our house or even it, this is sweet. I'm telling you, he's a tender hearted kid. He's a bruiser. He'll knock you down, but then he'll pick you up and hug you. But he, he sometimes will come up to my wife and say, mom, I saw this. You need to buy this for you. And it's like makeup or a, a dress or something, you know, because he sees this. He's influenced by the, the advertisement that that company is displaying on the television. And I think if we're all honest with ourselves, we too are influenced by some of those things as well. If not, advertisers wouldn't spend the kind of money that they spend to get our attention and to try to get us to buy those products. But influence is this cool thing to me. And I think sometimes we think that the people that are most influential in culture and society and even by extension in our lives are sometimes those really far off people. I mean, no doubt there are influences in our culture that we may never meet. There are famous people, movie stars and celebrities And they're influencers in some way. But really, I think if we were to look back and if we were to evaluate realistically, 
Some of the most influential people in our lives are those people that have been really close to us. They've been right up next to us. It doesn't mean it's necessarily a mom and dad or a grandparent or even a best friend or even a coworker during certain seasons, but it could be. It's probably, if you look back and evaluate, it's probably someone who has been beside you when you were walking through that moment when decisions had to be made. It's probably those people that had invested in you and spent time pouring into you so that when something had to come out of you, what they poured into you is what came out and you can trace it back to what they did in you. Influence is this really cool thing. And you're here on a great day because today we begin a brand new series for the next four or five weeks. We're going to look at this idea of building a life of influence. And we're hopeful that that over the course of this series, we can pull some things out of this story that we're going to use to build this series around to really, in all of our lives, try to capture some things that allow us to be people of influence to those around us. Now, I hope someday some of you are just world famous, but barring a miracle, that may never happen and you may not have influence on a global scale. But it is my belief that every person in this room has the opportunity, no matter your age, young or old, no matter if your children are in your home or out of your home, no matter if you're single or a student or or whatever, that you still have the opportunity to heavily influence somebody that you are close to now or that God will bring across your path in the coming days. And so we're in the book of Nehemiah. If you have your Bibles, you can flip there with me. And over this series, we're going to live right here in the story of Nehemiah. It's one of my favorite stories in all of Scripture. Nehemiah is a a pretty cool guy. We don't know much about him outside of the story that we read in this book. The book of Nehemiah is written by, you guessed it, Nehemiah. And we find that out from the very beginning of verse 1 of chapter 1 when he says, Hey, these are my memoirs. This is the story that I'm writing about my life and who I am. But uh, the story of Nehemiah is a really cool story. And I'm just going to go ahead and tell you the end of the story, okay? Nehemiah helps to rebuild the wall in Jerusalem, all right? You need to know that. There's no need to kind of keep that a secret until the end, all right? Because we don't really get there for a couple of weeks. But you need to know that every single week to understand that Nehemiah was able to leverage his influence to accomplish something great down the road in this story that we may not see played out in the chapters that we read over the first coming weeks But Nehemiah is a really cool story, and we're going to begin in chapter 1, and really the second part of verse 1, because he's already told us it's his memoirs here. And here's what it says. In late autumn, in the month of Kislev, which would be around the end of November, early December in our calendar, okay? Month of Kislev, in the 20th year of King Artaxerxes' reign, I was at the fortress of Susa. Now, this fortress would have been the castle that King Artaxerxes would use in the winter. All right, so this is one place that the king lives. Nehemiah traveled with him. We'll find out why in a little while. And he's with him there. King Artaxerxes had ruled from like 464 BC to 444 BC. So we're talking almost 2,500 years ago. And so he's telling us what the setting is for what we're about to find out in this story. Uh, Hanani, one of my brothers, came to visit me with some other men who had just arrived from Judah. And I asked them about the Jews who had returned there from captivity and about how things were going in Jerusalem. And they said to me, things are not going well for those who return to the province of Judah. They are in great trouble and disgrace. And the wall of Jerusalem has been torn down and the gates have been destroyed by fire. And when I heard this, I sat down and I wept. In fact, for days I mourned, fasted and prayed to the God of heaven. 
Now, I told you, he just got news that the walls had been torn down and that the people were in disarray. At the end of this story, or right before the end of the story, we find out that he rebuilt the walls. With the help of some people, he rebuilt the walls. He is a Jew, and so when they, he asks about the Jews, he's asking about his tribe. He's asking about his folks that are there in Jerusalem, even though he's serving King Artaxerxes. So he's asking about his folks, and he gets the news that his people are in disarray and that the walls around the city of David have been torn down and that the gates have been burned down, right? The walls would have been made of like, just imagine like cinder blocks and the the, the gates would have been wood. And so those wooden gates have been burned and the cinder block walls have been torn down. And so there is the idea here that, that anybody as an enemy that wants to get into Jerusalem to take captive the rest of the people that are there who are in disarray, probably not able to defend themselves well, they could come in and do that at any time. And, and what do we hear that Nehemiah does? When he gets this news, it says, I sat down and I wept. And I mourned and I fasted and I prayed to the God of heaven for days. And here's the question for me. As I read this, I was so convicted and so challenged. When was the last time that you responded to news that you received that wasn't for you, wasn't about you? You didn't get bad news from the doctor about your health. But when was the last time you got news about somebody else and it affected you this way? When was the last time that you were so connected to somebody? You were so connected to a group of people or an individual that you got news about their welfare and it's bad news and you are affected in this way. That he wept. He he literally sat down. Some translation says he falls down. Like he's overcome by emotion that he falls down and he weeps, he fasts, he mourns for days at a time. Because he's so overcome by this. What this says to me is it, reveal, it reveals a lot about Nehemiah's heart. It reveals a lot about who he is as a man. And over the next few weeks, we're going to talk about the kind of influence that's really born out of this. We're going to talk about that influence really kind of flows out of that natural burden that you may have. There's a natural passion inside of you. There's a natural burden. And you may be able to readily identify it right now. Or maybe you can't. Maybe you don't know what it is. And this is not a sales pitch. This is just kind of a piece of what I'm talking about. But we have a process here called North Life. The next session starts today. Again, it sounds like an ad. It's not, okay? North Life is the process which we help people to find their next step within our church community. And one of my favorite things as a part of that process is we help people identify maybe their gifts or their talents, their abilities, And in a little piece of that, we help them identify their passions. There's a list of some things, and they may circle some things, mark some things. They may write some things in. And there's there's a lot of things there. Maybe it's children. Maybe it's students. Maybe it's the poor, the needy among us. Maybe it's senior adults. Maybe maybe it's something else. Maybe, Maybe it's sports. Maybe you're passionate about sports. And I'm talking about more than I just have a favorite team. I mean, you see sports as something that God may leverage in your life. There's something that you are naturally passionate about. And and to me, and the the stories that I hear, the stories that I see in people's lives, it occurs to me that that's probably been there for a while. Now, it may have just started as something that you read a news story, you you heard a story, you have a friend, you know somebody. They fit in that category and, you know, you you heard something about their life and it was like, oh, man, I I hate that for them. Or, man, that's really exciting. But something about... The inside of you gravitates towards that. And now when you're reading the news or you're watching the news, you can't help but notice the stories about those same kinds of things. Well, 
I believe with all of my heart that God loves to use that natural passion that you have to, to gain influence in that area. And I'm not talking about you gain some new stature and everybody looks at you and you're, you know, you're it and all that. I'm, I'm saying that God can use that for a sense of ministry, for a sense of influence where you can affect the lives of others who may be affected by that or who live in that area or who are uh, under that condition or whatever. Let me give you a, a really practical example. I got her permission to use this. Lady in our church here, her name is Catherine. I believe Catherine's birthday may be today or really, really soon. I'm not going to tell you how old she is. Her husband made that mistake this morning, but I'm going to keep it a secret. But Catherine's a part of our congregation. And, and, and Catherine came to me a couple months ago. She met with me and Pastor Blake. And, and, and she had been talking about it for a little while even before that. But she was talking to us about a, a burden that she had for families who had children with special needs. It was just something that, man, when, when she would hear stories about them, when she would encounter these families, her heart would just long to do something to serve them and to help them. It, it compelled her to volunteer with an organization where she could help interact with these families and provide services to them. It, helped, it compelled her to really connect to individual families and try to help serve them and love them and, and do something to serve their family. And out of that came a desire to do something even larger, maybe through the local church. And so she came to meet with us to see what that would look like. And February the 9th, which is a Sunday night in just a few weeks, we're going to gather Catherine and anybody that has a passion to help in that way. And any family that we know among our congregation and in the community that has children that have special needs to come and join us on February the 9th. And we're going to talk about what that might look like as a part of this church. See what things are already available in our community. See what things we as a church can do to step into that arena and provide ministry and love and care for these families. And to me... It would be something totally different if some random person came up and said, hey, have we ever thought about doing anything for families with special needs kids? I mean, that would be great too, except that this was born out of a passion that was inside of Catherine, that we could see a track record here that said, I'm so passionate about this. I'm not going to wait on the church to do something. I'm going to start something myself and then see if maybe we can even grow that and develop that through the local church. And so for me, when I read this part of the story of Nehemiah, it occurs to me that influence is almost always, almost always something that naturally develops out of a passion or burden of ours and not something that's kind of a secondary thing we throw off. Now, I get in the business world, sometimes people have influence because they're appointed to a certain position. But even out of that, if you traced it back to like their really core root, I think most of those people eventually attain some of those positions because they got into that field or they started working for that company because there was some natural connection, natural passion for business, that industry, making widgets, whatever it was. And then they kind of work their way up the ladder until they get into this specific position of influence. But I think the story of Nehemiah shows us that passion is most often the precursor to influence. Let's jump back into the story here. Nehemiah, we're going to, he, he, he hears what happened. He, he's naturally burdened for it. He begins to pray and weep and, and, and all these things. He fasts and mourns. And then he prays this prayer, this very amazing prayer where he admits sin for him and for his people. And he quotes that, that Moses said that God would walk away from his people if they were unfaithful and, and disobedient. And this is what he says in verse 10. He says, the people that you rescued by your great power and strong hand are your servants. Oh, Lord, please hear my prayer. Listen to the prayers of those who delight in honoring you. 
And please grant me success today by making the king favorable to me. Put it into his heart to be kind to me. Now, we're going to talk about that last verse in just a second. But I came across a quote a couple years ago. I was at a leadership conference and a pastor here in our town, Andy Stanley, pastors like a million people. um, He said this quote at this leadership conference to just a, a couple thousand leaders that were there that day. And he said this. He said, leadership is a stewardship. It's temporary and you're accountable. He said it like 10 times so it would get into our heads that leadership is a stewardship. It's temporary and you're accountable. Now, though we're not specifically talking about leadership today, leadership is connected to influence because there's something where we can affect change. And I think you and I have probably all met leaders or people who have or think they have influence and they may not carry themselves in this way. They may not carry themselves in a way that says, I understand that the responsibility that I have been given is something that I hold in my hands because it was given to me. And I only hold it there as long as God entrusts it to me. And it's temporary because one day it will be taken from me or I will have to give it away to someone else. And I am accountable for the things that I do with it. I think as as leaders, if you're a leader in any capacity, I think that's a really great place to kind of hold leadership. Is that it's a stewardship, I hold it with open hands, it's temporary, it won't last forever, and I'm accountable for the things that I do with the leadership that's been given to me. And I think influence goes hand in hand with that. That the influence I have, the people that were influential in your life, they probably weren't, other than maybe your parents, if if this would resonate with that. Other than your parents, those people that were influential during your life probably weren't influential for your entire life. They were probably influential for a season may have been a long season. It may have been a number of years. Or it may have just been a few months. But influence is also temporary. It's also a stewardship. Influence is given by God, entrusted to us, to be influencers into someone else's life. And we are accountable with how we utilize that influence. And when I read this prayer from Nehemiah, I see a lot about his heart. I, I said that in the beginning. But I see a lot about his heart. I see that he recognizes that whatever the plan that is to come, whatever the rebuilding of the wall, whatever the plan, I don't know if he had the perfect vision of it in this moment, but we're going to see over the next few chapters and over the next few weeks that he gathers a people, that he has a plan, he faces off the opposition and they rebuild the walls to great success. He reorients the people, not just to rebuild the walls, but to kind of reorient themselves in a sense. I think all of that happens after we see that Nehemiah understands that he is completely and totally and utterly dependent on God. And any influence that you and I have has to come out of that posture. That I am not influential because I'm the most talented person in the room. You are not influential because you are are the smartest person in the room. You're not influential because you're the oldest person in the room. You have some level of influence because it's been entrusted to you by God. And that the moment that you walk away from trusting God with that level of influence, I believe that influence will be taken away from you. That whatever sense of leadership you have, you have been given that by God. You hold in your hands the things that God has given to you. It's a stewardship. It is temporary and you are accountable for how you manage the influence that you have. 
And I think we see that in the life of Nehemiah. His posture is one that says, I am dependent on you, God. Help the plan to come to pass. Give me favor with the king today. Now, why is the king important to this story? We started right up front, the end of verse 1, understanding who Nehemiah was. Nehemiah was at this fortress in Susa, and it was in the 20th year of the reign of King Artaxerxes. And I want us to look at the second part of verse 11 to end off chapter 1, and this is what it says. In those days, I was the king's cupbearer. In those days, I was the king's cupbearer. That's the only thing we get about Nehemiah's position. It's the only thing in chapter 1 that we get about who Nehemiah was other than who his father was in verse 1, who his brother was that came to, to give him the news, and the group that he asked about, the Jews. Some of us, if we were the king's cupbearer, we would have led with that. Like if, if, if I'm writing the story of Jeremy, chapter 1, verse 1, I'm leading off with I'm the king's cupbearer. And I've got some friends and family and here's some things I'm asking about, right? Nehemiah doesn't do that. Nehemiah says, here's who I am. This is my story. Here's who my father is. And eventually my brother comes and he gives me some news. I'm broken about that. I pray to God. And oh, by the way, here's my position. Oh, by the way, I am uniquely positioned to accomplish what it is that God may want to do in the coming days. Why? Because in order for the walls to be rebuilt in Jerusalem, one man had to sign off on that taking place. And his name was King Artaxerxes. He would have had to say, yes, I agree, whoever was asking... Or no, I disagree, which he had done in the book of Ezra. No, I disagree. You can't rebuild the walls. Yeah, I agree. You can rebuild the walls. And we're going to read about that next week. But here's this incredible thing that Nehemiah just kind of throws in at the end of Nehemiah chapter 1. In those days, I was the king's cupbearer. Nehemiah was in the right place. For God to take him somewhere else. Nehemiah was in the right place for God to take him somewhere else. I think the trap that I fall into and that you fall into sometimes is we try to get to somewhere else. And we don't wait on God to position us in the right place so that he can take us somewhere else. Here's the question for you today. Where are you positioned? Where is your place? You may say, I, you know, I just, I work a job. It's nine to five. It's supposed to be 40. It's in there like 60 hours a week. I don't get paid enough. That's my place. Maybe you say, I'm just a student. Maybe you say, I'm a stay-at-home mom. I'm a stay-at-home dad. Maybe you say, I'm in between places right now. This is not about vocation necessarily. This is an evaluation question for every person in this room to say. If the story of Nehemiah is true and God had Nehemiah next to the man that had to say yes. How might God use where I'm at? If God desires to help me build a life of influence. 
Where am I that God may use to influence others? Maybe it is related to your vocation. Maybe the place that you work. God has uniquely placed you there in that place. And there is a a sense that God wants to do something in and through you there in that place. Maybe it is in your home. Maybe you are that stay-at-home mom or stay-at-home dad. Maybe you're not. Maybe you work outside the home and you come home and you're mom and dad as best you can be in those hours and on the weekends and every other opportunity you get and you're not sure how effective you are being. But maybe in this moment, God may be pricking your heart to say to you, you're in the right place. You're in the right place for me to take you somewhere else. Or you're in the right place to stay there. Or you're not in the right place. Let's take you somewhere else. God, I believe, ordains our steps. He guides our footsteps. The Bible tells us that. Trust in the Lord with all of your heart. Lean not in your own understanding. In all of your ways, acknowledge him. And he will direct your paths. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. And we try to direct our own paths. We try to chart our own way. We try to blaze our own trail. And I'm not talking about lose your sense of ambition. I'm not talking about do away with wanting to accomplish something. But I am saying at the beginning of that, at the forefront of everything that you're going to do, am I dependent on God? And am I looking to see where has God uniquely placed me in this moment that he might desire to use? If I'm frustrated on my job, am I missing something that God may be wanting to do in those moments? And so you're going to have to forgive me today because I normally kind of have one main idea. It helps my brain. Hopefully it helps your brain. But today I'm turning into a Pentecostal preacher. I've got three points and they all start with P. And we've, we've been all over them all day. The first is this. What is your passion? What is your passion? What is a natural burden that you have for something or someone? What's your passion? What are you passionate about with your life? What's your passion? Second thing is this. What is your posture? Nehemiah realized he was completely dependent on God. Do you think, this is going to be hard. This may hurt you a little bit. Step on your toes a little bit. Do you think that influence and authority and leadership in some capacity is attained by making you larger and greater and bigger and pushing other people down so that you are the highest position, highest one in the room, biggest one in the room, smartest one in the room, wisest one in the room, and you want to let everybody know it? Do you think influence is attained by doing that? Or do you understand that your dependence on God means that influence is probably gained through humility and service? What's your posture? If God is looking to plant influence in you for the sake of others, are you looking to him to gain it? And the third is this. What's your place? Where are you right now that God may be looking to use to accomplish something great? What's your passion? What's your posture? What's your place? It occurs to me that the king's cupbearer would have been someone that the king trusted explicitly. He he trusted him literally with his life. 
Because Nehemiah would have been testing the things that the king was going to drink to make sure that if the king drank them, he's not going to die. So there was a sense of trust that was built there. And I believe that trust, this is just me here. This not necessarily even in scripture. This is just Jeremy translation here. I believe trust is most often built through faithful service. And it may be that the influence that you desire but you lack on your job is because you aren't serving faithfully. It may be that the influence that you desire in your home, you don't have it because you aren't faithful to the sanctity of your home. Nehemiah was faithfully serving the king. and He was in the right place for God to take him someplace else. What are you passionate about? What is your posture? What is your place? Because here's the reality for all of us. I desire for you to be people of influence. I want you to influence those around you. I want this church at both locations. And I want this campus specifically to be influencers of our communities. I want the community of Holly Springs and Hickory Flat and Canton and Woodstock. And I want these communities to know that we exist Because we are a place that they can find healing and hope and forgiveness and love. I want that. But I think that is a product of us having a passion for that. Understanding our dependence on God. And knowing where he's placed us. And for you individually, I want you to be a person of influence. And while this list may not be exhaustive, I think these are incredible places for us to begin. An evaluation of who we are as we attempt to build a life of influence. God, today for every person in this room, we just reenacted something that you did. But even beyond that, we chose to be a part of this moment. To take your body, the representation of your body and the representation of your blood. And to reunite those things inside of us. And so God in a figurative sense. We now carry with us the life and blood of Jesus Christ in us. And so as we attempt to live lives of influence. I pray for every single one of us. That we would live as the embodiment of your son. That we would look at others with the same compassion that your son did. We would engage others in that way, God, and that as we do, they would see you in us. God, help us to live lives that honor you and grow our influence in the lives of those that you entrust into our sphere. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.